Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. My name is Andrea, and I'm part of the College of Preachers here at the table, which is just a group of us um, who are learning to proclaim good news to one another. So with a spirit of joy and thankfulness, um, being able to proclaim this good news, I say in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, we continue our sermon series, A Weary World Rejoices. And this will be the last week we've been going through the hymn, O Holy Night, and a line um, from one of the verses as a jumping off point throughout the seasons of Advent and Christmas, um, just to reflect on that as we are hearing good news. Uh, I don't think I need to tell anyone that we are in quite a weary world right now. We're feeling that. We're feeling the fatigue of so many things. I know I've talked to two people recently who said that they want to talk about, I want to talk about something other than COVID. I want to have a conversation that doesn't involve the word COVID in it. So I'm sorry to say that I'm going to have to mention it today. <laughs> um, obviously, this is the water we're swimming in right now, that we continue to see the death toll rise. We continue to feel isolated. We continue to feel stress and anxiety and depression. Um, we're in a weary world in a pandemic. Uh, we know that especially our brothers and sisters of color are feeling a weary world of striving for change for so long, of seeing a spike of interest in some ways, a spike of realizations in 2020, and then now at the end of 2020, um, wondering what kind of real change will there be. We have a, a weary world um, as we grapple with uh, institutionalized racism. And we just have the daily grind, the weary world of the daily grind that we participate in. 50% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck uh, with any disaster or loss of job, just looming uh, with anxiety of wondering what could happen and income inequality continues to grow. And it's in this fatigue and in this weary world, we hear the words, the opening words of our, our song this morning of Oh Holy Night. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. This morning, we proclaim good news. In desolate places where it feels like so much has been stripped away, you don't have to grapple for comforts to get through the day or power through until the glory is Dear children of God, be present in the day where the Spirit is guiding us into the fullness of life in Christ. I know for me, the new year usually feels like a time of a fresh start, usually feels like a new beginning, tackling, um, resetting, all of that. And it's a little different in a year when we're kind of having the rollover of this weary world we've been talking about. The year, the calendar has changed, but the world hasn't. And I know kind of toward the beginning of Advent, I was talking with uh, Mallory Ruark and Marissa Crawford, um, actually kind of on our screens here this morning, but they were both just sharing how they were dreading the end of the end of Advent. They both shared how, you know, we talked about this even last week. I know Spencer mentioned this, that this year it's been so easy to be in touch with Advent, to be in touch with the longings and just the sitting in the space of, of the not yet. We talk about the kingdom of God. We often hear that the kingdom of God is not yet. And Advent feels like a season when we kind of sit in the not yet and grapple with the ways that the kingdom of God's not yet. And then Christmas I think in some ways is the opportunity to sit in the already, to sit in where the kingdom of God's present. And yet, even as I reflected on um, Mallory and Marissa both sharing 
um, Advent, the end of Advent is going to come, but, but then what, then what's next? Because we're just kind of continuing on in the life that we're, we're in right now, even though we have some hopes of things changing, there's still a long season ahead of us um, waiting. It's, it was in this conversation that I was sharing a story with them of something that had happened that I think kind of illust- can be il- uh, an illustration for us this morning of, of what we're feeling in this waiting, which was that um, my son, Michael, who's five years old, every year when it gets dark, he has this renewed fear of the dark. And we kind of have to work through this again every year. And so in the midst of all of this weariness and, and everything, um, there was a night where he decided like he was just not going to go to bed because he was just so scared of the dark. And he'd been doing really well, but you know, the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer. And we'd been feeling pretty isolated anyway, because between the holidays, there was extra amount of not seeing anyone and extra amount of not, you know, being around other people, not being in school, all of that, just being home. So it was kind of a rough patch anyway. And then he didn't want to go to bed and as tried as I may, I put him to bed at eight. He pops out of bed. I give him all the strategies. I help him think through the ways that, you know, this is the reality of the dark and we'll look in your closet. There's nothing, you know, you can go to bed, here are strategies, using your imagination, all these things. And just about every 10 or 15 minutes, he's still popping out of bed. And finally, it was way after nine o'clock, over an hour of trying to get him to stay in bed. He's like, nothing you're telling me is working. It's not working. I'm afraid of the dark. I was so frustrated and so angry in this moment of like, just stay in bed because especially in this season, there are long days. I think everyone, anyone who's ever been like a stay at home parent, or you have extended season where you're at home with your child, um, the days can become very long. And for me, with this being the regular rhythm, when eight o'clock hits and Michael goes to bed, I'm clocking out. I'm finally clocking out for the day. I'm having freedom. I'm going to do what I want. I've spent all day meeting someone else's needs, being demanded upon, having to do something for someone else. And finally, there's freedom. And I only have to account for my. So when Ada hit and Michael was not staying in bed, uh, it quickly escalated into extreme frustration. (laughs) When he finally went to bed and finally bed and fell asleep, probably well after 9.30, I was leaving this Marco Polo for Marissa and Mallory that led to this conversation about Advent. And I just was in tears. And I said, you know, now I have even this, even this has been taken away today. Even my two hours that I get to myself have been taken away. And and then I'm going to have to, I don't get to recharge. I don't get to have any time. And tomorrow I'm going to have to get up and do it all again. And I think in some ways that's kind of this feeling that we're in the sea. Um, there's this waiting for this thing at the end, but in the meantime, it's just trying to survive, just trying to get through the day. And I realized uh, as, as I was reflecting on this over the next few days that that was illustrating kind of how I was feeling in the pandemic in general. And in some ways, this is kind of a story that we know that's a tale as old as time, as old as time. If I can just fill in the blank, then, uh, then this will happen. If I can just get through the next 10 years, and then I can really live. I won't have to worry. I won't have to hustle. If I can just get through school, if I can just finish school, then I can finally have freedom to do what I want. If I can just get the job that I'm striving for, then I can find fulfillment. 
if I can just get so see my point of view, then we'll be fixed. Then our relationship will be fixed. And of course, our pandemic version, if I can just survive the next few months until everyone is vaccinated, then I can thrive again. Then we can thrive again. Then we can live life. And I think this good, the good news of today just really speaks to us. Hear the good news. In desolate places where it feels like so much has been stripped away, you don't have to grapple for comforts to get through the day or power through until the glories of tomorrow. Dear children of God, be present in the land of today where the spirit is guiding us into the fullness of life in Christ. Our Old Testament reading is so, it just felt so near and dear to my heart um, as I was reflecting, preparing for this sermon. The prophet Jeremiah is speaking a word of hope to a people in exile, a people who are waiting for restoration. And Jeremiah lived in a tumultuous period. He lived in, under the reign of five different kings. Can you imagine like just these massive shifts of leadership, five different kings in the shift of one world power to another from Assyria who ruled by brutality, who ruled by psychological warfare, military might, and that shifting over to the reign of Babylon, who pretty much was the exact same. And he lived under two sieges of the city of Jerusalem. The first siege uh, being when the king um, finally surrendered to the Babylonians, was taken away to exile along with so many people in the city, the royal family, soldiers, skilled workers, with, temp with uh, treasures from the temple. And Babylon put new king into power. And then nine years later, that king rebelled. And they lived once again under siege in Jerusalem. And that lasted for about a year and a half. And Jeremiah says that the famine in the city had become so severe at that point that there was no food for people to eat until finally the city wall was broken through. The temple was destroyed and burned. The city was destroyed and burned. The walls were broken down and people were taken away to Babylon, a thousand miles away, which is pretty much the equivalent of walking from Indianapolis to Denver or from Indianapolis to Boston or to Orlando. They're going by but they're going to a place that they had never seen, never been, couldn't imagine. And these were largely people who stayed, lived their entire life in a very small area, didn't travel out. And they traveled and were, were deported with unthinkable trauma. After a year and a half of siege, the second time for those who, who had seen two sieges, two sieges in Jerusalem, watching people starve all around them, hearing the sound of the army, hearing the sound of battle, wondering when will this end? How is this going to end? And Jeremiah tells them, for 70 years, they're going to live in exile. But we see in our Old Testament text today, in the text from Jeremiah, that God, even throughout, through this struggle and through this suffering, that God's telos for the people, that the end that God wants is restoration and is a relationship and is wholeness and fullness in life. We see in verse 8 the hope that God's going to gather the people back into the land from exile. And this is going to include the most vulnerable people, uh, a journey of a thousand miles of walking, that there will be the blind, the lame, women who are expecting children, women who are in labor, and that they will travel back into the land in safety. And that 
their life in the land is going to be full of bounty and fullness, that they'll come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They'll rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. There will be grain, new wine, olive oil, young of the flocks and herds. They'll be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. And that this is going to be part of Israel fulfilling her vocation to be a light to the nations, that the praise will go out for God because of this restoration that the people are going to experience. This is this is the telos that God has for the people, but that there will be 70 years of waiting for that telos and that the waiting for that restoration will be unavoidable. And yet in that waiting, the people don't, it's not as if the people do nothing or it's not as if they just hold on on the thing and just try to survive. I think it's really interesting in, in the chapter before in Jeremiah 29, when Jeremiah sends this to the exiles, the people in exile, he, he writes to them and he says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then, of course, the verses we know from all of the famous Christian wall plaques. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I think that something really striking that Jeremiah and the people who preserved his words realized was that in exile, God was present and God was working to transform them into the people of God. That there would be rejoicing and there would be fullness and it wasn't as if nothing would be happening in that space of time, but it's in that space of time that God tells the people to continue to live. And that at the end of that, that there was transformation that happened um, that enabled them to live as the people of God restored. I think about Matt talking about a few weeks ago, the wilderness as a crucible, and even Spencer preaching last week, how waiting cultivates righteousness, like as we're in waiting, God is cultivating righteousness in it. In, in that waiting. This is a word of hope for us this morning, that there's good news in the midst of our own land of waiting in the land of today and of the present moment. Live in that moment. We don't just wait for something else to happen, but that God's work and near, at work and near to us and transforming us in this moment of waiting, in the land of waiting. We land uh, and we wait in a land where the fullness of Christ's glory has been revealed, as in um, the Gospel of John that we read this morning, that grace upon grace comes to us, that we wait with the grace upon grace from Christ. We, we wait knowing that God's kingdom is in our midst. The stars are brightly shining, that Christ's birth has come. So, how do Seems as if we may have lost Andrea. Let's give her maybe another... Uh, 30, 45 seconds to rejoin us. But it sounds like she was about to give us an invitation about how we respond. And uh, she sent that to me and I'm gonna be the one leading that. So let's give her just a, a few bit more because I'd love to hear the end of that. Let's give her just a little bit to see if she rejoins us. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> I have no idea why Zoom just kicked me, everyone. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> I was wondering if Zoom completely shut down, but apparently that was just me, and I have no idea why, so hopefully it won't happen again, and we'll just roll if it does. 
<laughs> we have a prayer of response. Uh, so I'll kind of try to recalibrate here. So I have no idea where I cut off, but just as a uh, move, to move into how we can respond to the good news. Uh, hopefully, good. There's <laughs> hopefully enough pulled together to get there. So um, something that I've been finding really helpful to respond to this good news of living um, in today, in the land of today, and being aware of how God's at work is just reflecting on the wisdom of some of the monastics, like St. Benedict and Brother Lawrence, who lived very mundane routines and whose days were often a matter of prayer and making food and being with others and working in fields and repairing shoes. Okay, my saying my internet connection is unstable, which it hardly ever is. So this is really frustrating, but okay, good, you can hear me. Um, and they had just such an awareness of how God's presence could meet them in the everyday moments of whatever the day might be and learn to cultivate that awareness. And so um, I just have been really feeling that as an invitation to commune with God in whatever the land of today is, whatever those spaces are. So for example, I started rereading this book called Long Days of Small Things that I love. It's um, a book by Catherine McNeil, and she talks about motherhood as a spiritual discipline. And I find it really interesting, like the world of the stay-at-home parent is so relevant for so many people, so many of our struggles. But one of the things that she says in this book really early on is, I believe with my whole heart that every department store meltdown is cultivating my soul into something strong and beautiful. And Catherine McNeil and St. Benedict and Brother Lawrence have eyes to see that God is inviting us into fullness of life with him in everything, in all things, that he's refining us, that there's a crucible, and it often happens in our everyday tasks and in our everyday relationships. So what are the struggles and the conflicts that are culti cultivating your soul right now? What rhythms or circumstances are you just trying to survive where God may be inviting you into transformation in a desolate place? I think about um, Nancy's, uh, Nancy Nethercott had shared a story about a friend she had in Sierra Leone. And earlier on in the pandemic, their government was super strict, shutting everything down. People weren't allowed to leave their homes. They couldn't even go to the store to buy food. And she was corresponding with this friend because she said, "You, if you can't go to the store to buy food, how are you buying food? How are you eating? And he said, well, we're not eating, we're fasting. But he said it with joy. And he said it with the embrace of knowing that this moment was an opportunity to commune with God and for their community to commune together and, and to receive joy and a hard experience. So we opportunity for us to lean into something hard with the hope of God's joy that can meet us in that. I think a really helpful practice I've been finding in order to recognize these moments is just the prayer of examen. Ignatius um, developed. Just, uh, it's a beautiful prayer to help us recognize where God's present in our day-to-day. -day. And I love that Fuller Studio has put out this guided prayer of examen. You can find it like on YouTube or on, or on an app that they have. But it ends with this line. Remember that God will again be present tomorrow in all things large and small, guiding you toward fullness in your life. That all of the things, every large thing and every small thing, 
God is guiding us toward fullness. He's not guiding us toward just surviving. He's not guiding us toward numbing ourselves, but he's guiding us toward fullness in those things. And then I also just want to ask the question of where as this good news give us a vision for what God's calling us into? I think in some ways it, it feels like there's not a lot happening. And so it's, kind of the space of like, what can we do? What should we be doing when it comes to so many conversations we've been engaging in? But I think it's a good, in a season when there's not a lot, where there's stillness, um, just noticing our longings and noticing where we can have clarity and discerning how we can act and how we can engage in justice and righteousness, how we can live into our vocation of being light in the world, how we can live into our vocation of loving one another. It's a special space, I think, or it can be if we have eyes to see what is God calling us into. So friends, let's lay down our tendency to self-medicate with comforts to get through the day. And let's lay down our self-reliance and powering through for the glories of tomorrow. How can we be present in the land of today where the spirit is guiding us into the fullness of life in Christ? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.